if you take away something that's a habit, you need to replace it with something else. You know, you can't just like take it away and just be, and just willpower your way through it. I mean, you can if you want like you know suffer, but if you don't want to suffer, you just gotta put a a new routine in there afterwards. You know. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator podcast. My name is Odette Kressler. Thank you so much for joining us. On today's podcast, we've got Jamie. Jamie took her last drink on April 16th, 2019. She is from Long Island and she is 35 years old. And before we get started, I wanted to let you all know that we've made our second service donation for the year. We've made a donation of $2,000 to Cycle 4 Recovery. Cycle for Recovery is a charitable organization that provides financial assistance to individuals seeking a chance at recovery from addiction and mental health disorders. They match candidates with highly qualified service providers in their area, and they coordinate directly with the recovery center to cover treatment costs. And the reason why I am sharing this with you all is because it's very important for us to be transparent about our membership fees, and we've vowed to donate 15% of membership fees to a cause. So thank you. Thank you to everyone who is part of Cafe RE. Because of you, we were able to make this contribution. Alrighty, let's work on finding your better you. I'm reading a business book with my team at work my other job, not my podcaster job. Um, The book is called The Compound Effect. I actually had read this book over five years ago, and I remember really loving it back then. I still love it, still loving it. I love the simple concept of the book, which is baby steps add up into large rewards or big change. It's not rocket science at all, but it's very interesting to see that in spite of all of this knowledge, for most of us, change is really hard. Gaining momentum on a decision is many times challenging. Of course, now that I'm reading this book while on the journey of sobriety, I see how every single concept that is mentioned in the book applies to our alcohol-free journey. Days add up to weeks, weeks add up to months, and months add up to years. All those baby steps and little decisions to turn down the drink one at a time end up changing the trajectory of our lives. Trajectory changes entirely. There's a part in the book where the author talks about a plane changing its path by one degree and how this, over time, mile over mile, would completely take the plane off of its original course and landing onto a destination that was not part of the original itinerary. If you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you've probably heard us talk about sobriety as an opportunity versus a sacrifice a chance to change our destination and land at an airport full of love versus nose diving into the ocean with no parachute to hold on to. This reframing is a choice that must be consciously made though. It is so easy to focus on what we will be missing out and what we will be removing from our lives when we quit drinking. This, for many of us, brings up resentment, anger, and adds resistance to this process. Making the shift from sacrifice to opportunity is not a tangible tool, but man, does it help. It helps us see things differently. It helps us become grateful. Darren Hardy, author of this book, The Compound Effect, talks about the add-in concept. When there is a desire to change something, 
Instead of thinking about all the things we will have to take away from our life to achieve that desired change, we must instead think of all the things that we will be able to add to our life due to this change. When you say adios to booze, what are you able to add into your life? I started writing a small list in my journal and it got long quickly. Okay, this is what I added to my life when I stopped drinking. Added money to my wallet, adding time to my day, adding health to my body, adding sleep to my nights, adding smiles to my day, adding clear-headed mornings, adding hobbies to my life, adding community, adding friends, adding memories, adding mental peace, adding ice cream, adding flossing, because I didn't really floss at night before sobriety, guys. Anyway, adding life skills to my toolbox, adding connection to my life, adding laughter with my kids, adding kick-ass workouts, adding books that I read, adding better communication, adding self-care. I could keep on going. You get the picture of this, right? You, you get what I'm getting at here. That shift from FOMO, fear of missing out, to JOMO, joy of missing out, is available. It's available to all of us. Whether you are on day one or day 1000 of this journey, saying no to a drink will add value to your life. I like that oxymoron. All right. Eso es todo, mis amigos. And before we hear from Jamie, let's hear from my favorite resource on this journey, Cafe RE. When I decided I wanted to pursue an alcohol-free life, I knew I didn't want to do it alone. I joined Cafe RE almost immediately after I found it and was so surprised at the amount of grace, support, and love that was offered to me right away. One of the things that I realized was that I had a lot in common with the people in this community, people all over the world with similar feelings and struggles that truly understood me. Community matters, and lining up with people that have the same goal in mind really helped me stay the course on my journey, especially when I came across some bumps on the road. When joining Cafe RE, you get 24-7 access to a group full of others whose priority it is to live an alcohol-free life. These groups are capped at under 400 members to ensure quality connection. In Cafe RE, you'll find that quitting drinking can be fun. For $19 a month, you get access to the community, you get paired with an accountability partner, you can attend educational online webinars, attend in-person meetups, participate in book club, movie club, and more. You'll also get discounts to retreats and sober travel trips. 15% of our monthly fees goes towards our service project, where we work with a nonprofit helping those who have been affected by addiction. Go to recoveryelevator.com and use the promo code OPPORTUNITY to waive the setup fee. Again, use the promo code OPPORTUNITY to waive the setup fee. I can't wait to see you all there. Jamie, how are you today? I'm great, Odette. How are you doing? I'm great. I'm really happy we're finally doing this. I know it's been on the books for a few weeks, so I'm happy the day is finally here. Yep, I'm happy it is too. I'm really excited to be here with you. And let's get right to it. When was the last time you had a drink, Jamie? The last time was April 16th, 2019. Technically at like 1230 at night. So I guess technically it was April 17th, 2019. And I count that as my sobriety date. How are you feeling over a year now? Over a year, it's like, it's wild. I'm feeling really good. I'm feeling really confident in my decision to go sober and maintain a sober lifestyle. It's really the greatest gift I've ever given myself. I love hearing that. Can you give listeners a little background? Can you let us know where you're from? Do you have a family? What are your hobbies? What do you do for a living? And what do you like to do for fun, Jamie? Absolutely. 
Hello, listeners. Uh, my name is Jamie. I'm going to be 35 next Thursday. So that's exciting. Another sober birthday will be in the books, God willing. I live in Long Island, New York, which is a suburb of New York City. And I have two wonderful nephews and a wonderful niece and sisters and my dad. Um, that's my immediate family. I'm a social worker. I've been working for the Department of Social Services here in New York for 10 years now almost. And for fun, so much more things I do for fun than when I was drinking. I run now. I'm a runner. Um, I like to go kayaking. I love reading, um, not just Quitlet, but also all sorts of books. I love, I love cooking. Um, not so much baking because that measuring thing is kind of lame. I don't like measuring and like I don't like having limitations put on me when I'm making <laughs> delicious food. <laughs> And I love just like hanging out with friends, going to the movies, being in nature is probably the, the greatest gift of uh, being sober. I love just feeling like one with my higher power. That's where I really feel my higher power shining through is when I'm out there walking, enjoying nature and all the good stuff it has to give me. Yeah, I love following your journey and just seeing all of the things that you're doing now, now that you're in sobriety. And I didn't know you before, but I do have this general sense that you've really expanded your life and you're really just taking each day and making the best of it. And it's really inspiring to see that. So thanks for sharing, Jamie. And I agree. I mean, I love baked goods, but I like going with the flow when I'm in the kitchen. And if I do that, when I'm trying to bake, my cake doesn't rise. So I'll, I'll just buy my cake from someone else. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. You know, I, I agree. I do love trying to bake a little healthier when I do bake. Like I make a lot of like um, recipes that have like oat flour instead of like, you know, other flour. So it's like gluten free and stuff. And and tahini, actually using tahini in my chocolate chip cookies. Oh, it's so good. Just gives it a different flavor, you know? Yeah. Can you give listeners some background on your history with drinking, Jamie? When did you start drinking? When did you realize alcohol was no longer serving your goals? And just tell me all about you and your story. Sure, absolutely. Certainly, there's much more to talk about by being sober than going through like a drunk log, as we say. But um, a little bit of my background, you know, I didn't really start drinking until I was probably my last year of high school, first year of college. When um, I was in college, I was drinking like everybody else. So it didn't seem like there was a problem. You know, um, if you're all swimming in the same fishbowl, eating the same food, inhaling the same kind of water through your gillsies, like you don't really notice that, you know, there's a problem yet. And then um my, there definitely were like, you know, valleys and hills in my journey, um, you know, with alcohol, you know, there would be times where I can go out and have one or two drinks and be totally fine and then go home. And it always felt like kind of like Russian roulette, especially towards the end, Russian roulette, you know, um, I didn't know what was going to happen when I was going out. And when I was drinking, I did um, lose my mom at the age of 22. And I actually, I was in Greece when that happened. Um, so like, I remember I was at a club, probably at the time when she passed away. And the fact that I was like completely blitzed out of my mind um, at a club, when my mom passed away, who was also an alcoholic. My mom was also an alcoholic. I don't know, just like synergy and like there's never, I don't think there's accidents. You know, I don't think things happen by, by chance. So I think there's a reason why that happened. And certainly um, probably in the last three or four years of my drinking, it got really bad. Blackouts got, got worse and more frequent. Um, I was driving drunk a lot. You know, I was using alcohol to um, escape myself, escape my feelings just do stuff and, you know, push down the things that I was feeling. And um, for me, codependency was also a big part of, of getting to where I was, um, you know, emotionally and with my drinking, you know, I, um, I was in relationships where I knew I could, well, I didn't know at the time, but like, I was just settling for the relationships, the intimate relationships in my life. And I was like, well, so I'm just gonna drink about it. 
because drinking is bonding and drinking is connection and drinking is everything's okay when we're in this like buzz state of existence, but that's not a way um, to maintain a, a healthy relationship. So, you know, towards the end, it got pretty bad. And I did have one of those rock bottoms. And um, I woke up that next morning after um, smashing my brand new car against another car and completely hungover, um, you know, going to work and trying to function that day like a human being. I was like, I, I can't do this anymore. Like that, that that was the universe's wake up call to me to be like, hey, I gave you all these passes over the years of not having you get pulled over and arrested and, you know, not letting anything happen to you physically or anything like that. So I think the universe got sick of my stuff <laughs> and kind of like really pushed me to be like, Hey, like how much worse are you going to let things happen to you? You know? So I would say towards the end, it was a very swift decline, but like, certainly it was a very, very gradual trip down to that decline, you know? Yeah. And tell me more about, I know you're going to be 35. So when your mom passed that, that's been over 10 years that that happened did you notice or did you start noticing that when that happened afterwards did you start noticing how you were using alcohol to almost like deal with that grief did you see that immediate result of that loss I didn't see it immediately no um you know when my mom passed away I was the only one living at home at the time with my dad so I felt like I was in like codependent take care of my dad mode where I couldn't even like like turn to that kind of like escape like you know that was not a priority at that time and then once I had a little bit of time away from it and once like you know I started questioning um you know in those like dark hours after you're drinking when you're by yourself and you're with your thoughts and you start questioning like am I like my mom because asking myself if I was an alcoholic felt too dangerous it felt too like that's too close to my mom to say that I'm not called because I knew that she was one I saw that she was one you know so I certainly could tell that I was using the same coping mechanisms of my mom of alcohol when I wasn't when I didn't want to talk about my feelings, when I was feeling sad, when I was feeling scared, when I was feeling insecure. Like my mom certainly um, after the passing of her mom, unfortunately, uh, my mom definitely used alcohol as a coping and an escape method, you know, and I saw myself doing that more and more the more I was drinking later, uh, you know, in my drinking career, as they say. Yeah, and I'm really glad you brought up codependency. It's not something we talk about a lot here on the podcast. And it's a part of my journey as well. And listeners, for all of you guys that this is just a new concept. It's it's a complex. <laughs> it's a complex thing. But to just really simplify it, it's really when we are enmeshed with other people and we are caretaking and being responsible or feeling like we're responsible for other people and other outcomes and that that in turn disables us from taking care of ourselves. So I come from a strong background of codependency as well and taking that role that you mentioned of caretaking, you did it for your dad, I did it for multiple family members and this may not mean caretaking physically just for all of you guys listening it can mean just emotionally caretaking for somebody else or, or taking mm -hmm. that role on and then feeling like you are actually responsible for the outcome it's very very common and uh, usually codependent relationships lack in boundaries so I know boundaries mm -hmm. is something that you've been working on a lot and um, I'm, I'm just glad you brought it up because it this is outside of drinking you know it happens my mom has no issues with alcohol, but she really has struggled with codependency, especially being in a relationship with someone who was an alcoholic. So yeah, thanks for bringing that up. I think it really, it's more common that we, than we think that it is. 
Yes, it, it really is. And I didn't realize, um, you know, how codependent I was in my romantic relationships, at least. That's where it really comes out for me um, until I stopped drinking and started to kind of examine like what was happening um, over my last few years of, of um, you know, engaging um, with other people. And, you know, we talk a lot of, in ther- and I also go to therapy as part of my program, you know, and I talk a lot with my therapist about the, the two B's of sobriety, which is boundaries and balance. Um, you know, um, and I know you, both you and I um, are big fans of Melody Beattie, you know, and we read, her, we read her work all the time, you know, about how, you know, boundaries aren't bad. We, we kind of, you know, put that stereotype on ourselves that, you know, oh, boundaries are bad because if I put up boundaries, that means people aren't going to live up to my expectations and I have to leave. Like, that's what I thought about boundaries or they would leave. That's what I thought about boundaries. And I realized, um, you know, I wrote a poem um, when I got sober uh, last year. And I compared, you know, my, my, I guess, codependency journey with like being like a, a, a clothesline, you know, and I just kept stretching myself and stretching myself and just piling on more clothes onto this clothesline until eventually I snapped and I just fell to the floor. And then I was able to rest by the time I snapped. I'm like, hey, no, I need to rest. I need to like figure out, you know, like how did I get here? And I just need to watch the clouds go by and know that if I have faith that, you know, something out, outside of myself is looking out for me, there's a reason why this is happening. There's no reason to be afraid, you know? Boundaries and bounds. I love that. Thank you for sharing. You're doing such wonderful work. I'm so proud of you. I love just knowing you outside of this interview and seeing how much value you're adding to people because you're very open about this as well. And you're taking a role on shredding the shame by simply sharing. So thank you. Keep doing it, Jamie. Thank you so much. That means so much coming from you. I know that I didn't know you in person until you know this past january where we had a magical weekend you know at the recovery happy hour retreat and to 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 know you and to also be a part of your journey and you be a part of mine i mean it's a really great gift and i'm very appreciative of of it we're in it together jamie tell me about the first couple weeks the first couple months of your journey was this the first time so april 16 2019 was this the first time you were seriously pursuing this journey talk to me about kind of the state that you were in back then? Um, yeah, this was technically the first time, you know, um, when I think about if I ever moderated or if I ever did anything like that, my moderation techniques were very subtle. Like I would not bring enough money to the bar in the guise of, oh, I'm saving money, but fully well known that, you know, I can have my friend buy me a drink or two and Venmo them money. So your, your, your disease is always going to like, you know, find a way, right? I did take off I tried to take off a month from drinking just because my friend challenged me to. And I just did it out of like resentment, not because I wanted to. Um, I made it two and a half weeks. And that was probably a year before I actually stopped drinking. So this was my first really foray because I was really living on that river of denial. You know, I was just sailing down that river, you know, just denying that I had a problem because I'm a, I'm a successful, single, young person. I have my own house. You know, I have a great family. I have a great life. You know, so I was like banking on all those like, you know, accolades and things that I was doing. Like, well, I can't I can't also be an alcoholic or I can't also be, you know, a problem drinker. Like those two things can exist in the same sphere, which, as we know, straight in the shame, that's totally not true. You know, we are multifaceted people and we can also be successful in our lives and also have problems drinking, you know. So so those first few weeks, you know, we're, we're weird. Feeling those feelings were weird. Um, you know, I grew up in a family where we didn't share our feelings. We didn't feel our feelings. We either got angry about it or we drank. And I couldn't, no point getting angry about something I, that no longer is serving me. And I can't drink. So, like, it was a lot of just, like, you know, really cocooning, 
and listening to a lot of podcasts and reading a lot of books and, um, you know, figuring out new hobbies and new things to do. You know, um, I'm also part of a 12 step recovery program. And the only reason I started a 12 step recovery program is because I knew I had to get back into therapy after that incident with my car. And my therapist said that, you know, oh, they can get me in in two and a half weeks. And I'm like, that is way too long. Two and a half weeks. Like, I might as well just go back and drink, you know, if I'm going to like wait two and a half weeks to do that. So I was like, well, there's other options. So I did find a 12 step recovery program and I did, you know, um, attend my first meeting uh, probably about seven or eight days after I stopped drinking, you know. And um, although I accidentally walked into a men's meeting by accident, you know, um, I they I stayed because I knew if I didn't stay, I wasn't going to come back. And I listened and I was like, wow, like there's this community out there of other people going through this. And like, it felt really natural to be there and really comforting. So I, I started that kind of program along with my therapy. And, you know, it was just a lot of sitting in my feelings the first few weeks and like talking to my feelings with safe people. And um, at that point, I only had, knew two sober people. Um, can you imagine like now I've only knew two sober people? That means I'm not doing my recovery right. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, so I talked to those two sober people, you know, that I knew from college and also from my uh, most recent uh, partner that I had, you know, and that definitely helped too. You know, they definitely were so encouraging and um, it felt like so good to talk to them and know that I wasn't being judged and know that, you know, you know, my one friend told me when I was talking about, you know, how, uh, you know, well, I'm like, I'm successful. I can't be an alcoholic. My friend was telling me it doesn't matter if you drink once a year or you drink all day, every day. It's about how it makes you feel that's when you know if you have a problem or not. And I'm like, that kind of keeps things in perspective for me. Because, you know, when you get get some time away from the drink, you are like, oh, hey, like, maybe I don't have a problem. Maybe this is not like really me. And then that's when you have to, to, you know, remember where you came from and remember that that's that's probably your ego trying to pull you out of yourself and trying to pull you back down and trying to, you know, um, you know, make sure your pride is being number one there. And I'm like, nope, I'm, I'm still I'm still not caught. I still have a problem with alcohol. And, you know, all the accountability that I do for myself, it certainly helps keep me sober and, you know, like doing interviews and, um, you know, being a part of that 12 step program and having like a beautiful sober circle. Now, it's all the stuff I do to try and make sure I stay accountable. Yes, you've built a lot of tools for yourself. And it's important to have that community. And we have to stay humble. I loved what you said, because Mm -hmm. it does. I've yet to talk to someone that it doesn't happen to where those thoughts creep in, you know, we may be doing great, Mm -hmm. but those thoughts creep in of like, hey, maybe I got this, maybe it's totally fine. Maybe I could go back to drinking normally, maybe I could do things differently. And it really takes that self awareness and checking checking that ego and being like, nope, like (laughs) acceptance, this is who I am. Not to mention, I really love the people and the benefits that I reap from being in this sober circle that you mentioned. So it's almost Mm -hmm. like I don't want to give that up anymore. Like, I don't want to give this up. I don't want to give all of this stuff up, which ultimately we would have to give up if we went back, right? Yeah, you know, and then then the shame to try and come back in. Like, I don't even want to give myself that opportunity. You know, um, I was speaking to a friend when I first got sober. She wasn't sober herself, but like, I don't know, we just got into this conversation. So I think she saw that I was struggling and stuff. And she's like, you know, drinking is not about what you're losing, but it's what you're making space for. And if I knew like my space would be so expansive now and like, you know, not only like the people I know and the things I do, but also like the mental space I have for like compassion for myself and, you know, to, to work on my faith and to, you know not live in that fear-based place that I was living in for so long. If I knew all of that, I would have probably gotten sober a lot sooner, you know? What did you do initially when you were 
when you only knew two sober people, and I know you were new to AA, what was your go-to thing to do when you got hit by a strong craving? Because those are usually stronger at the beginning. I, I, I bet you don't have as many physical cravings anymore. So what did you used to do back then? I, th- I think because of that self-awareness piece that I was developing, like I never had a craving for a drink. I feel like especially towards the end, like it wasn't, I mean, physically I was certainly feeling the effects of alcohol, but it was more like the emotional craving. I had so many emotional cravings to drink, you know, towards the end of, of my, um, my drinking. So um, the awareness piece, like, you know, if I, like I wouldn't crave a drink, but I knew the feelings that was, that would lead to a, that could lead to a craving if I didn't keep it in check. Usually those feelings are self-pity of loneliness, of anger, of being tired, like halt, you know, like all that stuff, hungry, angry, lonely, tired, as well as emotional. And there was another one that someone said recently that I thought was like really, you know, really uh, eye-opening. But anyway, so when I would feel those things, I would try my best to pause, take a moment, which I never used to do. Like I'm an, I, I have an anxious personality, so pausing is really difficult for me sometimes. And just be like, okay, this is happening. Why is this happening? What do we need to do about it? You know, so sometimes it would just be like just holding my my hand over my heart and be like, you're okay, you're safe, this will pass, everything's going to be okay. Um, sometimes I'd have to go for a walk. Sometimes I'd have to like make myself a cup of tea, you know, take a bath, you know, talk to somebody, you know. Um, I really didn't find like young people in, in uh, the sober world until I started going to Instagram and kind of building like a, 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 a sober social network on Instagram and stuff. And then uh, the probably more towards this last fall, that's when I started meeting like, you know, more sober young people in my area. Cause as you know, the certain recovery program that a lot of us are in, it's all like old white dudes and it still is like, that's not a stereotype. That's like how life is, um, you know? So um, certainly like, like following accounts like you when I first got sober and like other accounts, you know, definitely helped me with that. But I feel like, you know, if you're like in tune with yourself, which I think sobriety gives you, if you're willing to accept that you have feelings and that you can deal with them and you, you can do that. Um, you know, it definitely helps me to like not even get to that point where I, where I have a craving. Yeah. It's the feelings and the cravings subside and they come in waves. But like you said, it's usually just learning to take care of ourselves, which I know self care is something it's a word that is now thrown out there just so easily like self care, take care of yourself, love yourself. But like, I loved reading, I think it was Glennon Doyle, but she said something like, self care can be whatever, right? Like making yourself a tea, putting a mask on, it can be so many things. But ultimately, what you're actually doing is that you are not abandoning yourself when you're having a hard time. And that was so powerful for me to listen to because I was like, yes, every time we bolt when something hard happens and we want to run, and I'm I'm a I'm a physically I'm a runner, but I also feel like emotionally I'm like, nope, I'm not going to deal with this right now. Bye. Like yeah. emotionally yeah. running. <laughs> it's like no, like learning that we are strong enough to stay with ourselves when this is happening is so empowering. And it's it's been crucial for me to realize that I can do that, that I'm capable of taking care of myself that way. Yes, because we're taught stereotypically women identified people, you know, we're taught that we're supposed to be caregivers and we're supposed to sacrifice everything for our families or for the people that we love. And, you know, I feel like sobriety helps me flip the script on that being like, I can do both, but I need to take care of myself first. And I'm not a mother. I can't imagine, you know, the things that mothers go through. You know, both of my sisters are working mothers of young children. And I'm like, 
after hanging out with them sometimes for the, for the whole day. And I'm like, oh my God, thanks for reminding me why this is not my journey, you know? But, you know, I'm making sure that you're taking care of yourself, which is definitely a priority in my life. And it's why I have a very kind of like strict morning routines and, you know, and a more loose like nighttime routine. Like, you know, that's the way that I stay sober because I love the way I feel now. Like 99% of the time I feel great and I feel serene and I feel, you know, I'm connected and grounded and that I can handle anything. And in those times where I don't feel that way, like I know that there's tools I can use to get there, you know. After making the decision of not drinking last year in April, were you talking to your family about it and your friends? Or how long did it take you to start having these conversations with your immediate circle about this decision? Not too long. Well, um, I had like two dichotomy of people. Some people were like, oh, wow, we're, gra- we're glad you're there. We're, we're glad you're there, you know, because they knew like maybe something's going on. They saw me and I was out in the city like until like the late hours of the night when I have work the next morning, you know, drinking and everything. And then the other side, we were like, oh, my God, I didn't know you had a problem. So that's kind of interesting, you know, those two dichotomies. My immediate friends and family, I started to not say that I'm sober, but like I used to say, like, you know, I'm not drinking right now, you know, because um, that felt like a safe thing to say, you know. And then I remember... Um, it was maybe about a month sober and um, I had a wonderful day that day and it was kind of like that pink cloud moment where I was like oh man this could be a lifestyle for me that I can choose you know like I had I had lunch with my friend I actually did um, yoga with a dog that morning at my studio it was so much fun and then it was my my niece's birthday so I was her secret reader in school so I got to go in and like hang out with her classmates or read a book and like celebrate her birthday with her after at my sister's house and I remember like a very distinct moment where I was like oh man, this is what a life without alcohol can give me. Like, sign me up. Like, I'm ready to like commit to this, you know? And then, you know, probably I'd say about like five or six months later, I started to be a little more open about it, like on Instagram and on Facebook and on my platforms because I knew that, you know, I was very like shameful feeling about my mom and I didn't really talk about, you know, what I was going through as a child having an alcoholic parent. And I knew that, you know, if I can like you know be there and be the light for somebody else like we can just like make all those little stars in the sky start shining bright with sober people it just takes one person to start to do that to kind of like make that kind of spider web of other people being like maybe this is a lifestyle that i need to do maybe this is a choice i need to make for myself so i always try and and think about that especially on those days where i'm not feeling like 100 percent about being sober and about like you know doing all this work because it's work every day it's definitely work every day but it's worth it. And you've realized that. So I'm really happy that now you get to share that and you get to be that person for other people. Like you said, if I can just speak to someone who can feel inspired and can just like, I'm always like, I want people to see and say like, if she can do it, I can do it. Like that's, that's basically the takeaway. Like anybody can do this. Um, And it is work, but it's super gratifying. And tell me, so Jamie, what's been the hardest part of all of this? What's been your biggest challenge in sobriety? Probably my biggest challenge is um, still because it's 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 a it's a process, you know, not a perfection. Is just you know feeling my feelings and sometimes being okay with them just being there, you know, and not like fighting them. And um, you know, certainly during quarantines, I've had moments of like, you know, oh my god, I'm so alone. The world's on fire. What is going on? Like, how is this happening? What's going to happen? You know, into those anxious, you know, kind of states. And um, that's when I know that I have to reach out to somebody and I have to talk to somebody and I have to remember that I'm both the moon, you know, I'm both the moon and I'm both the ocean, you know, that waves come and go, you know, the moon comes in phases, you know, it, 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 it is predictable. It will always go back to where it was, you know, 30 days before. So I just try and remember that my emotions are like that too. 
And it doesn't mean I'm going to feel them like all day, every day. And, um, you know, acceptance is probably like one of the easiest and the hardest things to do, you know, on the sober path, you know, accepting that I'm an alcoholic and um, accepting that things happen the, the way they do. And the more that I'm able to accept the circumstances in my life, the easier I can live with them, you know? So, so yeah, so that's probably the hardest thing. Just, just feeling my feelings and realizing that all feelings are valid. We don't need to put judgments on our feelings, you know, um, cause we're taught as kids, like certain feelings are good and certain feelings are bad. You know, like being angry is okay. As long as you're processing that emotion, emotion, um, you know, uh, accordingly and in a healthy way, like being angry and like, you know, throwing a baseball through somebody's window, probably not the best idea. But being angry and being able to like write that down and then maybe set a boundary with somebody who made you angry, it's probably a little bit more, a little bit more productive way to, to handle your emotions. It's interesting because there are so many feelings. I remember when I went to treatment, they used to give me this sheet and it was like, how are you feeling today? And I was so annoyed every time they gave me that sheet because I had like, it was like the menu from Cheesecake Factory. It was like pages oh, yeah. and pages of, fe- of things and, and options. And I'm like, wait. I don't understand this like spectrum of emotion thing that Mm -hmm. like good or bad. And most of the time, I don't even know where I'm at. I just say fine and don't ask any more (laughs) questions. And I've really learned that, like you said, it's it's hard to sit with them to even label them. I feel like as children, we're not taught to label feelings like the at least my generation wasn't taught to like oh you're probably experiencing this like we're as kids we're just trying to figure it out as we go and I see it in my kids so we're learning what feelings even are and to sit with them and to know like hey they'll pass I don't have to fix it I sometimes don't even have to do anything about it I just have to see what this is and like okay now I know what this feels like cool and speaking of Glennon Doyle, I love, you know, that quote that's been going around probably from Untamed, which is a beautiful book. I love that book about like how I never was fine. And I never will be fine because fine is not a feeling. Fine is what you say when you don't want to talk about how you're feeling, you know? Yes, I love it. She's such a force. She's great. She's, if, no, if you aren't following Glennon Doyle, everybody out there, you need to follow her. She's a treasure and a light. And it's really nice to see, you know, people in the LGBT plus QIA, did I get all that? Um, you know, sober people, um, you know, out there, you know, spreading the word um, so we can all be more inclusive of, you know, the different kind of sober people that are out there, you know? I agree. I agree. It's it's amazing seeing what's happening with this movement. Jamie, you spoke about morning routine oh. and how that's what keeps you sober. Tell me more about that. Tell me more about what you do every morning for yourself. Absolutely. So for the next, last 81 days, that's up today, 81 days. Um, I've either been rock, walking or running every morning for 81 days. It started as a, a run streak challenge. I belong to the Zero Proof Run Club, which is on Strava. It's through New, New Fashion Sobriety. And we made a pledge to run for 41 days in a row, at least a mile a day. But whew, if that taught me anything about like acceptance and self-love and pacing yourself and all that kind of stuff, that was great. So um, I really enjoyed um, doing that, but like running every day is hard. So uh, I was like, well, I can move every day, like every morning, you know? So um, before I go out for my morning run or walk, I wake up, I feed the cats because, you know, they're ravenous. So I do that. And then I read two things every morning, Um, sometimes three. Sometimes I read the daily reflection from that recovery program I'm in. And I always read uh, The Language of Letting Go by Melody Beattie and A Year of Miracles by Marianne Williamson. So it kind of sets me on my spiritual, my codependent stuff for the morning. 
And then I do my morning one run or walk. Um, if it's a walk, usually a podcast I'll listen to. Or if it's a run, definitely music. I can't do anything but run to music. I've learned that recently. And, you know, that just helps me have a routine. So I wake up at 6 o'clock every morning. I slept in today till, at se- until 7. So that was fun. But, yeah, I'm up at 6 o'clock every morning. You know, I remember when I was drinking until, like, 2 or 3 in the morning. And I'd roll out of bed at 7.45 to get to work on time. Like, And I would be like, I put clothes on and I left. Like, how are you supposed to be setting yourself up for the day if you're giving yourself, like, 10 minutes to be ready for the day? So I really do um all those things every day at least for the last 80 days um 81 days is you know get up do my readings you know go for my run or walk so i know that even if everything else is shit that day uh, you know at least i did all of that stuff i got up i took care of my mind i took care of my body and my spirit i love that i do feel like finding simple ways and simple things that you can incorporate to your day, especially now that many of us have lost a lot of structure that we had prior to the pandemic. It's really important to stay grounded. And I'm really happy that you honor that. Uh, I know not everyone's a morning person. I'm a morning person as well, but it doesn't really matter whatever time of day you do a couple of these things. It really helps when you create that consistency and that new rhythm. Did you used to have like a witching hour or when was the time of day where you felt like you had to kind of make space for something new because that's when you perhaps were drinking? Yeah, it's a good, good point. Other thing I do every day is meditate, which I didn't mention because I guess I've been doing it for years now. So it just feels natural. But I do also meditate every day, but probably right around the time I got home every day, um, that probably meant witching hour. So like, you know, five, maybe like five to seven, where either I'd be going out for happy hour, you know, with my friends. It's all about the good deals, right? The two for one drinks, the cheap bar food, like whoa, all that stuff. Or I'd just be like, oh, wow, like I made it through the day. I can reward myself now with a drink. I can reward myself now with poison, you know, like. So probably I would say between like five and seven would have, was my witching hour, you know, and I just found new routines to do during that, you know, um, let's make myself a nice little mocktail, which, you know, works for me, but that might be too triggering for other people. We need to know what, what is going to set us off, you know? Um, so let's make a mocktail, let's make some tea, you know, let's um, go for a walk after work as soon as we get home, you know, let's talk to somebody, let's go for a walk with a friend, you know, I actually just went on a walk today with my, um, my friend Adele, who's hit 1000 days sober yesterday, Woo! Um, which is amazing go down if you listen to this um you know so we went for a walk at the arboretum and we fed the chickens today like fun stuff like that you know trying to like re- if you take away something that's a habit you need to replace it with something else you know you can't just like take it away and just be- and just willpower your way through it i mean you can if you want to like you know suffer but if you don't want to suffer you just got to put a a new routine in there afterwards you know yeah that's something that we've been talking about so you guys have heard it from me before but it has to be fun. It has to be full of joy and it has to be it has to be filled with experiences that are not making you feel like you're missing out. Although I do want to say if you're new in sobriety, it's also normal to feel at the beginning like it's a lonely journey or that indeed yeah. you are missing out. Sometimes you literally do feel that in terms of like feelings wise, but you just have to trust that at some point or another you're going to unlock the gates of like a different lens you're going to get these different sunglasses in the mail you're going to put them on and you're like okay like I see everything that's out there and it's available and that spontaneity that you're talking about like feeding the chickens because let's you're not like having to get back home or having to get to the bar on time for that deal and those drinks it's just it's really cool to just go with the flow and to organically be open to new experiences now and I think it's funny because I, I was at a meeting today. We we're talking about faith. And I think that that a lot of stuff has to do with faith. 
you know, faith that there's another way of life. And, you know, faith doesn't take like a minute to get there. Sometimes you need that time by yourself to, to be faithful that, you know, I know that this is a rough time right now and it's lonely, but um, I know that there has to be something on the other side that's better than, uh, than the side that I was on, which was drinking and hiding and shaming and all those kind of things. Yeah, faith and trust, like trusting that mm -hmm. there is something out there, like you said, and then we deserve it. Everyone deserves it. You guys are worth it. So yeah. keep trusting. <laughs> Jamie, we have reached the rapid fire round. I feel like we could talk for a long time, but we're here. So if you can answer, there, there's always another time. Yeah, you know, that's the joy of, you know, life. So <laughs> exactly. If you can answer these questions in 30 seconds or less, that would be fabulous. Yes. Are you ready? Oh my gosh, I've, I've always been excited to do this part. Oh my God, I'm so nervous. Okay. Let's do it. <laughs> okay, let's do it. Tell me what you are excited about right now, the new possibilities in your life. What are you excited about? I'm excited to have my first, my first sober, healthy relationship because I never had one of those before. Oh. Wow, that was really quick. There you go. <laughs> what book are you reading right now? Or books, could be book, could be books. Tell me what you're reading right now. Oh my God, this is a perfect question because I'm reading this book called Good Morning, uh, Destroyer of Men's Souls. It's a book about addiction and codependency and about this woman's experience with her sister's addiction and then her um, her boyfriend's addiction. Um, and it's about her journey as a codependent person in those relationships. So everyone, please read that book. It's amazing. Good Morning. Can you repeat the title again? Yes, it's called Good Morning, Destroyer of Men's Souls. And I just read the passage where that quote came from pretty much there was this woman i believe her name was carrie noble and she was um you know a uh in the temperance movement so she would go into bars and say to the bartenders good morning destroyer of men's souls because you know she was trying to crusade the uh, the alcohol free life you know back mm -hmm. in the 1800s i guess or 1900s or whatever i love that we're gonna have to have katie put that in the show notes so thanks for sharing yeah. what is a light bulb moment you've had during your journey that i can do almost everything sober that I did drunk. I can go to bars to see my friends play in their bands. I can go to weddings. I can go to parties. I can sit with my sad feelings. The only thing that I can't do sober that I did drunk is drink. So that was definitely was a light bulb moment for me. Tell me, Jamie, if you could talk to yourself on day one, what would you like to tell Jamie? Oh, man, Jamie, girl, you are a warrior, you are a force, you have no idea what this new life is going to give you. And I know that you went through a lot, you know, over those last 15 years, a lot of trauma, a lot of grief. And you know, the universe had bigger plans for you. And that's why you're here at this moment at day one, to go 400, I think I'm at 480 something days at this point, you know, I'm not drinking, so you can be a light for other people. What is your favorite ice cream flavor, Jamie? Anything with chocolate or peanut butter in it. So preferably it together. So um, I love a good uh, chocolate peanut butterness from like friendlies. And also sometimes I like a good like soft serve pistachio. They do make that out here. Next time I'm out on that side of the country on the East Coast, we are going to have a walking ice cream date somewhere. That sounds wonderful. <laughs> what <laughs> are some of your favorite resources in recovery? So my news resource is Cafe RE. I don't know why it took me so long to join. Oh, Deb, I'm so glad I'm there. Um, go go uh, Team Blue. Love that resource. It's just like a you know, way to, to make some new sober friends and to see people on their journeys. Podcasts are big re resources for me. Obviously, Recovery Elevator, Recovery Happy Hour, Celso Squad. You know, those are some of my favorites. My other favorite sober resources are 
the things I do with my body, it's yoga, it's walking, it's running, it's kayaking. That's a newer one of mine. And another, um, you know, great resource that I love is the two books I read in the beginning of my sober journey were um, This Naked Mind by Annie Grace, which if no one's read that, you need to read that. And also Sober Curious by R- Ruby Warrington. Uh, she also has a, po- a podcast named Sober Curious. And um, I really enjoyed both of their books. It kind of addressed like the, the brain chemistry of like why we drink and how we do what we do, but also like the ways that we can like kind of move through that. And like, how can we take the, that energy that we use for drinking and put it into other parts of our life? Oh, I love that. We're also going to have Kate uh, drop all of these resources in the show notes for you guys. Those books are fantastic. What parting piece of guidance can you give listeners who are thinking about ditching the booze? Well, first off, you are a, a, a brave, gentle soul for realizing that alcohol may be a problem for you. And I applaud you. And I wish you so much fun on your journey because not about luck. It's about taking that pain and making it fun. You know, so I would say if you are early in your your journey about like dishing the booze, I would say tell somebody. I'm pretty sure you might have one sober person in your life. And if not, you know, you can definitely find some sober, sober support and sober friends through Instagram, you know, through Cafe RE. There's so many programs out there besides, you know, the traditional recovery programs to find some connection. So um, tell somebody because they'll give you the support you need and let you know like what resources are out there. And just remember that, you know, sobriety isn't all about work and, you know, um, ditching the booze isn't all about work. It's also about fun. So make sure that you're balancing, you know, the work that you're trying to do on yourself with, you know, just getting out there and having a good time because life is it's about living. It's not about doing work all the time. Yes. And before we depart, give listeners your own. You may have to say adios to booze if flying. Oh, you might have to say adios to booze if you drank so much that on more than one occasion, you lived in the basement of your of your dad's house because that's where you lived, not because you were like under the bridge or anything like that. And you couldn't make it upstairs or throw up. So you had to throw up in the uh, in the washing machine and clean it out the next day. That's pretty gross. Oh, goodness. I am so glad you are not having to deal with that anymore, Jamie. Me too. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on to the podcast and for sharing your story with us. I can't wait to air this. I appreciate you. And thank you. Thank you so much, Odette. You're doing a kick-ass job being uh, the new moderator of this podcast. And I can't wait to to um, hear more stories and uh, more things from your perspective. So thank you so much for having me on. Thank you. Take care. Very well, Timari. That wraps up our interview for the day. And before I say adios, I want to give you a little homework. Think about your alcohol-free journey. How much have you been trying to hold on to things you think this journey will take from you? Is that realistic? Make a shift. Start thinking of what you want to get out of this. How can this journey add to your life? Has it already added things that you haven't even paused to notice while staying distracted in the state of FOMO? Open your eyes, team. Beauty is all around us. In choosing you and staying sober today, you also subscribe to abundance. So let's keep an eye out for it. Remember that you're not alone and together is always better. Recovery Elevator, the birds are singing and when we're sober, we can actually hear them. I love you guys. Fight a drinking problem or an addiction.
thinking.